This is David Tarkington, lead pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park and the First Family Network. Thank you for downloading the sermon today. I encourage you to check out our website at firstfam.org. And if you get a chance, go to my blog, davidtarkington.com. All right, you have your Bibles. Go ahead and open to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. I'll give you a moment to find that. I sit by my friend Jody every Sunday. Jody had to move today because we usually sit here, but he found me. Save me a seat. You save me a seat. Jody's faithful. He's here every Sunday. He gives his offering. I got to tell you this because it made me laugh. What made Jody laugh? Then I laughed. Jody gives his offering. He dropped it in there. And as soon as he put the offering in the <laughs> offering plate this morning, I heard this, oop. What'd you do, Jody? Yeah, so guys, the gum wrapper was not the offering. <laughs> but hey, we're going to pray over it, and everybody will have a piece of gum by the end of the service or something. We'll see you but there was an offering too, so if you got a gum wrapper, it wasn't a joke. It was one of those, oops, but thank you, Jody. Appreciate you. Ezekiel chapter 2 is where we are today. Last week, we started with Ezekiel chapter 1, Old Testament book, Ezekiel. Uh, man, I'm I just about halfway through 915 service. I think I may be calling him uh, Elijah. So it'll keep me on track with the right E name. Ezekiel chapter 2. Chapter 1, Ezekiel uh, went with the, this whole strange vision that, that he had. And, and we didn't get into what everything meant. But if, if you look at Revelation, like Revelation 4, 5, and 6, you'll see Ezekiel. You'll see a lot of repetition and a lot of... You see two human beings, John and Ezekiel, looking at something that is very strange and doing their very best to try to describe it in English. Well, not English, they didn't speak English. But anyway, in a, in a language we can understand, that's why both of them used the words, well, it was like this, and it was like that, and it kind of shown like this. There's a whole lot of descriptive words there. And, uh, and so in Ezekiel 2, what we've had is we've had this incredible vision of God given to this prophet, and Ezekiel, during his daily, pri- daily prayer time, God interrupts it. How rude of him to interrupt his prayer time by showing up. And he gives him a vision and a word. And in that moment, Ezekiel knows it's God, and he falls on his face in worship. That's the end of chapter 1. We find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 2, and God is speaking to Ezekiel, who never goes by the name Ezekiel. doesn't use his own name. He uses this phrase, son of man. Son of man is used 99 times in the Old Testament, 93 times it's used for uh, Ezekiel. It's a self-descriptor. It is Son of Man, and here's where we are in verse 1. He, God, said to me, Ezekiel, Son of Man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke with me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of Man, I send you to the people of Israel. Hold on. Man, it's really bothering me. That was not straight. Little OCD, I got it. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. There's a word picture. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. 
Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of the book was in it. And he spread it out before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation of mourning and mourning and woe. Chapter 3, verse 1, he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Well, that's weird. In honor of that, just rip the page out of your Bible and eat it. Let me know how it works. Um, if you read Revelation 10, you'll see that John did the very same thing. There's a little scroll. That, it, it, there's a whole lot of meaning there. And, and, it, and it's a word of, of, of just you know, taking the Word of God and, and uh, taking it in and then going out with it to, with the Word of God. We'll talk more about that in, in future sermons. But but this whole story of this calling, of this, of, of, of this moment, it's really a story about overcoming fear initially. I don't know if you have any fears. I mean, fear, there are good fears to have, and then there are phobias that people have, and, and you, can, you, you can do research and figure out certain fears. People, have, people are afraid of heights. People are afraid of water, snakes, spiders, um, public speaking. There are all kinds of things that cause fear in a person's life. And, uh, and, and, and those, those, are, those, those enter into our lives, that's part of our lives. There, there was even a game show, it was years ago, it's been so long now, Fear Factor, where you would take people, right? And you would push them into circumstances. And what was the motivation for people facing their fear and winning the game? Money, 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 right? So there's going to have to be some kind of motivation to get somebody to face a fear and then step over that fear and move forward. And in the game show, it was money. In life, it may be much more serious than a little, uh, little change in your pocket. So when you start looking up stories about people who face their fear, you get a lot of stories about those we've heard biographies of, we've seen war movies about, uh, a lot of military illustrations, some, some civil rights movement illustrations, some, some illustrations of men and women who were put in very difficult situations and had to do something that was totally out of character for them, but they had to do so in order to move through whatever it may be. And in some cases, facing one's fear puts them in a position of finding success. In other cases, facing an individual's fear, facing one's fear actually is beneficial to others. Because to do nothing is to, cause, is to allow harm to happen. So, so these are just stories. You can do research on your own and find those. I found a few quotes. Some of you may, may know who this individual is. Some of you may not. If you're a history buff and a military history buff, you probably have heard the name Eddie Rickenbacker. So Eddie Rickenbacker, World War I, uh, American fighting ace. He had this statement. I think it's pretty good. He says, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you're scared. I never really thought of it quite like that. That's pretty wise. There are a lot of other statements I've found, but just one other I'll read about the, the reason often people don't face their fears and jump over whatever that is that's, that's before them for the greater good or for whatever it might be is because they would rather just be safe. They're going to take the safe way out. And it was, uh, I think it was John Shedd uh, that said, a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. So you kind of have this construct about, you know, we can choose the safe way or we can sometimes face our fears. And the reason I bring that up is because apparently in this message, in this passage, it is very clear that Ezekiel has some great fear that he is facing. If he's not facing it yet, when he moves forward in ministry, he's going to face it. 
because God addresses this fear. But, but I want to talk about this, this calling. Calling is a word that's often used in church life. It's, it's kind of, uh, I think it's a legit word. I think it's a good word. I would say I've been called into full-time ministry. I would say I've been called to share the gospel. I would say every Christian in the room has a calling on their life. Sometimes it's kind of dumbed down. It's some kind of secret thing people get and others don't get. Every Christian in the room, let me just make sure it's very clear today. Christian, you've been called, all right? You've been called by God. You answered the call and said yes to him. And the call as a Christian is, is now to be obedient. There are things that Christians are to do and to be. God doesn't call any of us to just join a church and sit in a pew. In case you didn't know. That's not the calling. Well, there's no courage in that either. The courage would be sitting in someone else's pew, but that's another story. But God has called us, and ultimately he's called us to himself. Chapter 1 of Ezekiel gives us this crazy weird vision that is so hard to explain that Ezekiel uses. It's like this, it's like that. He's so overwhelmed with the glory of God. He falls on his face in worship, and then God pulls him up, and makes it very clear, if you like writing notes, if you like taking, write, taking notes, and you like points that are very clear to follow, here's what I've done tonight today for you. I've got a few points, and they all have the word, words in them that begin with the letter C. It's very preacher-like of me. I did it this way for you, all right? So let's talk about this call. The call given to Ezekiel is very clear. It was a clear call. That's one. The call was clear. For Ezekiel, there was absolutely no question who it was he was speaking to. There was absolutely no question who the vision came from. There was no question that it was a clear word from God to him. He's laying face down on the ground in prayer, worshiping God, and God speaks to him. No miscommunication here. And then, lo and behold, verse 3, God says this, Son of man, I send you. Verse 4, the descendants are also imputed and stubborn. I send you. There is no mistaking the call that is upon Ezekiel's life. It can't be for the person sitting next to him in the pew. There's nobody else there. Because if you go back to chapter 1, the verse, first verse, you'll notice, you'll remember, 13th year in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chabar Canal, he was there in that moment with all the exiles. Now, where are the exiles? Let's bring us up to speed. Here's where we are. The children of Israel had been living in the promised land and things had been going well and yet they had been greatly disobedient for generations. They had settled into a mode of comfortable faith where religion was an option and if there was time and if they were invited for a special event, they'd show up for the worship service, but otherwise, no big whoop. So Christianity, not then, but the worship of God, Old Testament, was optional in the people's lives. They had been rescued by God, at least their ancestors had, but because the generations have passed, they have fell, fallen into a feel-good, God's not that big a deal, he, we can little G him, he's not a big G anymore, and just kind of make sure we're friends with everybody kind of life. It's all good, would have been the mantra that they went under. Then so much that they became friends and even family members with those that they should never have become friends and family members with. They became those that hung out with people who worshipped other gods. And under the banner of tolerance, they would say this is how it ought to be, but the only problem is God said don't. And over generations of doing it their own way, God finally said, because he is a loving God and a great father, he disciplined his children. Now see, there's difference in discipline and punishment. God disciplined his children and he punished the enemies. 
The discipline is in love, just as a father or a mother would discipline their child in love with the intention of teaching so they would come back. So what does he do? He allows the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan god, a pagan king in a pagan land with an evil uh, mon- uh, 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 leader and, and, and a whole uh, godless world to come into Israel and to capture the land and to take his people captive. So Ezekiel and all the other Israelites are being held captive. They're servants, they're slaves. And while most of his peers are lamenting to God, God has forgotten us, God doesn't love us anymore, God has abandoned us, Ezekiel is at the point of going, I'm going to remain faithful. I think God is disciplining us. But there were, Ezekiel was not in the majority. And God met him. And then because he's not in the majority, God tends to show up in the minority at this point. And he shows up and he says, I send you, Ezekiel. I send you, random guy, son of man, interrupting your prayer time you're the one i've chosen the god of the universe calls out this man a religious man this man who apparently sought to live right though he was not perfect this man who was living in a foreign land with all of his countrymen this man who was not unlike the other men of his people this man who was just trying to remain faithful but this man who unlike his brothers and sisters was continuing to pray and trying to stay faithful and was chosen not by others but by god this son of man the call was clear it was ezekiel's secondly the call was close not a close call as in oh my goodness it almost hit me a close call and uh, regarding proximity the call given to ezekiel was not to the babylonians he was not calling them to go to a people group that spoke another language that lived in another culture that wore a different dress and ate weird food he was not calling ezekiel to go over there The calling to Ezekiel was not to another people group. The calling was close to home. The calling was close. It was to family members. It was to fellow Israelites. In other words, it was to those who grew up with Ezekiel and knew him. It was to those that he worshipped with, those he went to school with, those that he played with as a child, those that lived down the street from him, those that were in the same neighborhood that he was in. See, here's the thing we know in modern Christianity. It is much easier to sign up to go on a mission trip to Haiti or to Cuba or to Wales or to load up a van and drive a bunch of teenagers to Miami. It is much easier to do mission work somewhere else. It's much easier. It's much easier to put on your godliness for a week and do it elsewhere than to put it on daily and do it right here. Now, there is a place and a need for the short-term mission trips. I'm not abandoning those. I think God uses those greatly. Often, God uses the short-term mission trips not in the people you're going to go see, but in the people that are getting on the plane to go. We're sending a team of students to Wales this summer, and my prayer is not for Wales. It's for those students. Because God has got Wales, and God has got those students, but God's going to do something in the lives of those students, I believe, by just getting, I don't know, changing their proximity to home. I know that. That's why we want to see every teenager in our youth group before they graduate going on an international trip. Because I know God uses that. But that being said, you shouldn't go elsewhere without going home first. That's harder. To, it, it is, I, had, I preached at 915 and one of our young men came up to me. He's probably, I don't know, how, how old did you say he was? 10? Maybe? He's going, Pastor, i got a question for you. i got a question for you. So I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, 
okay, it's not a question. I just want to tell you, you're right. I was like, oh. Thank you. You're my number. He's now my favorite kid in that, in that campus. I'm right. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, it is hard to talk to my best friend about Jesus. I could talk to someone I don't know, though. I said, you got it. At 10, you got it. It's hard. It's, and he said, he said, why do you think it's so hard? And I said, why do you think it's so hard? He said, I don't know, because I don't want to lose him as a friend. Because he knows who I am all the other days. I said, do you want to preach next week? Because I think you got a great message right here. <laughs> the people knew Ezekiel. They grew up with Ezekiel. They knew he was just a son of man, as stated earlier, yet the proximity of the call did not diminish the call. And so God says, I send you. And if you want the full understanding of what he's saying, he's saying, I'm sending you, but I'm not sending you far. The call is clear, the call is close, and the call is challenging. There's no walk in the park. It's not going to be easy. It's not for the faint of heart. God lets Ezekiel know this is where we see the fear factor come in. It is interesting here because Ezekiel's going to go to relatives and friends, fellow Israelites. And then in this command in verse 6, it says this, God says to him, and you, son of man, be not afraid of them. Why would you be afraid of them? He already knows the fear that is welling up within Ezekiel. He says, don't be afraid of them. This reminds me of what God said to, uh, to, to Joshua, right? When Moses had died and Joshua was going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and he said it about, I don't know, ten times in the first couple of chapters of Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. You'd think he'd get it, but the fact of the matter is, is we need to be reminded that we need to be strong and courageous because the work God's called us to is not easy. Now this is really challenging in America because we like our Christianity comfortable. We like it comfortable and air-conditioned and easy and constrained by a certain amount of time. But the call is not going to be easy. And there are a whole lot of reasons why people will say, well, I can't do it, I can't do it. Hey, hey, I, I get it. When God called Moses, as we sung about just a few moments ago, God called Moses, he met Moses at a burning bush, right? And he met him at the burning bush, and he said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to talk to Pharaoh, and I'm going to use you to set my people free. That's the uh, ancestors of the people Ezekiel's going to. Moses' first response when God says, I'm calling you, Moses says, I, 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 I can't do it. I, I stutter. I, have a, I can't speak well. And God said, no problem. You've got a brother named Aaron. He talks all the time. He'll talk for you. Moses had an excuse, and I relate to Moses because I think just about every Christian, including myself, has responded like Moses when the call has been offered. I choose you. You go. But God, let me tell you why I'm not a good pick. Or, or let's just go ahead and just call it what it is. Someone in the church has been praying for someone. They've seen God work in your life. They see leadership ability in you. Men and women, they're coming to you, and they come to you, and they say, hey, I think, I believe, I've been praying about it, and God has brought me to you. God, I want to ask you, would you consider teaching this class, leading this ministry, serving in this capacity? And the Americanized answer that we give to spiritualize it, it's really just a spiritual no, but we go at this route. We say, well, let me pray about it. Now, for some, you do, you do pray about it. I'm not going to, you know, somebody's already mad. I wanna, I'll pray about it. All right, I'm just telling you about everybody else. For a lot of Christians in America today, let me pray about it is, uh, I don't want to do it. Let me figure out a way to say no, but let me spiritualize it. 
It's kind of like the RSVP to the party you don't want to attend. And you're trying to figure out, would someone else please invite me to something at that time? Because I don't want to go to that. So I'm going to RSVP that, oh, I'm so sorry, I couldn't come. I'm sorry, I had something else planned that I planned after I got that. It's a way to say no by saving face, but it's still saying no. And so here's the thing. God is calling Ezekiel, and he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But you know I'm afraid. That's why I'm telling you, don't be afraid. Now, why do you have to tell somebody not to be afraid? Because it's fearful. And why does he have to say, be not afraid of them? Why? Because who's the them? Them are family members. They're, they're Israelites. They're, they're, because they're going to they're gonna eat Ezekiel up. Then he goes on, he says this, hey, don't be afraid of them, and don't be afraid of their words. What does that mean? That means they're going to say nasty things about you. You, let me just, we know we live in a culture where everybody's offended about everything all the time. People wake up offended. They go to bed offended, and then they're offended if no one else is offended like they're offended. We are the angriest people. We're just always offended and angry. Right? If you're not, you know someone that is, and you tiptoe around them, and you try not to see their social media post. This is what he's talking about. Hey, Ezekiel, they're gonna, they, don't, they don't like you. And they're going to say bad things about you. They're going to say th- bad things about your mama. They're gonna, that's the Mother's Day connection, in case you wanted a Mother's Day sermon. There it is. <laughs> they're going to talk about your mama. They're going to say things about you. And if they had social media in that day, it would be posted and, tr- and trending and shared. It doesn't have to be true, but they're going to talk about you. Be not afraid of them. Be not afraid of what they say about you. And then he said, nor be dismayed at their looks. Listen, that's the Old Testament version of the stink eye. That's what that is. You're going to walk in a room and they're going to go, hmm. Or they're all going to be talking and you walk in and they all hush. That means they were talking about you. And even if they weren't talking about you, you're going to think they were talking about you. What is God saying to Ezekiel? He's saying, this is not easy. We have a lot of church planners we work with, partners, guys we've sponsored and some we still support. I was talking to one a few years ago. Man, I tell you, he's sharp. He is very sharp, well-educated, godly, great teacher, great preacher. Had a little conversation, and he was like, man, I just, it's eating me up. It's just, it's like, you know, it's not fun. It's not fun. Setting up in a school cafeteria every week, trying to keep 40 people happy every week, wishing my wife would actually get to attend church once. She's been in the nursery every week, hadn't been with adults in however many months they've been doing church. It's not easy. Some people come and they leave, and when they leave, they say things. I told him this I said, Listen, I've talked to the city missionary, I've heard you preach, I know your heart. Listen to me. I'm older than you. That's what I told him. You're doing great. The only person that thinks you're not is you. You're doing great. Then I said this. And if this was easy, everybody would do it. There are more people who used to do it than do it. And it's maybe because God called him for a season and then God changed it and, and, and matured him to the next step. But in his case, I'm saying, stick with it. 
He's got families that come, families that leave. I mean, it's no different than an established church. It's just in a smaller venue. So when you have four families and every family has eight kids, if one family leaves, half, a third of your church is gone. You know, that's kind of what's happening. Or a fourth of your church. It's just, it's just challenging. And what Ezekiel is told here, he said, hey, let me just, here, here's a great marketing strategy. Maybe God could, needs to update his marketing strategy. He says, hey, I'm calling you. They're going to hate you. They're going to say bad things about you and your mama, and they're going to give you dirty looks. This is a great ministry. Why don't you join it? But that's the calling. Fear is no excuse for ignoring the call of God. Fear is no excuse for ignoring God's call. And I mentioned this this morning as well in, in the 8 o'clock service, so let me make sure I'm clear on this. In the calling that God has given you, please make sure you're not going to serve Him in your ministry. Well, I have a ministry. This is my ministry. Let me just caution you. If you have a ministry, it's likely not God's. God has ministries. He puts people in them. When man has ministries, they become things that become idols. And God can be forgotten. So let's move to the, la the, the next one. Not only is it a clear call, not only is it a close call proximity-wise, not only is it a challenging call, here's the great news, it's a covered call. This call is covered. Nobody wants to step out in life knowing if they not knowing if they have backup. I'm an expert on military and police terminology due to Hawaii Five-0 and Band of Brothers. So, I believe this is the right term. Jacob, you can help me. I got your six? What does that mean? Yeah. So with all the generations of people that have never seen an analog clock, they don't know what that means. Isn't that a clock illustration? Twelve, six? So digitally speaking, it means nothing. But to have someone six means they're watching your back. Here's what God says. I got your back. Oh, by the way, I got your front. And in case you didn't catch this, I got your sides because I got you covered. I'm sending you to the wolves, but I've already been there. And I'm going to be there when you get there. Oh, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to make you cry. They're going to make you want to quit. But just remember, I got you covered. More on that next Sunday. Here's the last thing. So I, I didn't work a C on this one, but your call is clear, the call is close, the call is challenging, the call is covered, and ultimately, folks, church, the call is yours. The call is yours. For fear of trying to find ourselves in this story, which is not what we're doing here, and not because I am not you are not like Ezekiel, nor am I. We do not live in Babylon. We live in North Florida. We do not speak the languages they spoke. No, we, we don't. We speak where we speak. We live where we speak. We have been placed in the families we have been placed in. We have been placed in the schools that we attend for His glory. I used to tell this to students all the time, and I know we still have some teenagers in here somewhere. So teenagers, I don't know, and, and students in elementary school, but I'm really thinking about these junior hires and these high schoolers. There are times when you go to school that depending on the teacher, they have assigned seats for you. And those assigned seats are in the class for a reason. Sometimes teachers assign certain seats because student A better not sit anywhere near student B. Or teacher A is going to have a fit. It just is, it's like oil and water. It's not going to work or it's just adding fuel to a fire. So we create seating arrangements for the ability to teach and to learn. Sometimes, and if I was teaching, this would be where I would start. It's just because I can't remember anybody's name, so I'm going to put you alphabetically. But students are like, oh, we got to sign seats. You know, they're all, so I want to sit with my friend. It's the same thing in church. I'll go to that disciple now as long as my friend goes. You know, it's like no one can make a decision unless 30 other people decided it for him. 
But in school, here's what I've challenged. And you guys are about to graduate. School's out, what, four weeks, three weeks now? How many teachers? How many days? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got it. They're not, they got it axed out. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Parents are going, oh, kids, teachers are going, yay. All right, it's like. So, so here's, a, here's just something to consider, students. You've been sitting in this assigned seat for an hour a day for five days a week, and you think it's your teacher's fault. I'm telling you, God has orchestrated that so you would be the Christian sitting next to the non-Christian for the possibility of having a ping-pong ball gospel conversation. And your time's running out. Well, I'm about to graduate. Great. Let me just tell you. I, don't, I wish I had it. I wish I, I wish I had the DeLorean. I wish I could uh, Thanos my, snap my fingers and go back in time. I can't. All right? Junior high for me, I was a Christian, but oh, what a sorry one I was. High school for me, I was going to heaven, but not telling anybody. If I could go back in time based on what I'm seeing from former classmates on Facebook, many of my former students, and hallelujah, let's have a reunion and look at how many are still going to hell. I can't save them, but I didn't even try. I didn't even tell them. Oh, Lord, if I could just go back and realize all those people I thought I needed to impress for three years that I haven't seen in 30, if I could just go back and tell that lost person, Jesus loves you, and he would love to know you, but until you say yes, you, you don't have heaven. You have no hope. What's the risk? Oh, lose a friend, get made fun of. Yeah, I didn't want that in junior high. And I didn't want that in high school. And I don't want that today. But it's worth the risk. Some of our adults in the room are members of their HOA. Let me just tell you, you're in your, your housing association. Let me just say that eternally, no one gives a rip if the yards are edged. Who cares in heaven? They're pre-edged and pre-mowed it's amazing <laughs> but God has somehow put you in a housing association position next to some neighbor you otherwise would not know and your conversations are on making sure your neighborhood appears right but God puts you there for a conversation you've yet to have well this is not the time or place you know the rich young the, the rich man said that as he looked up to heaven and saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, don't waste a day. Some of you, the hardest mission field is your spouse because they're lost and you know it and it burdens you. And you're hoping somebody else will talk to them. So you keep praying. But don't quit praying and don't quit talking. See, God has called us to a mission field. God has called us to himself. God has placed us where he's placed us. I don't think our neighborhoods are randomly chosen. I don't think you picked your house because it was a good price and in a good school district and a good neighborhood. I think you think you picked it for that, but I think God set all that up and he, you just fell into place. And now you're where you are. You may not even been saved when you moved there, but you're there now. See, a selfish mindset says it's all about me, but when you start seeing the story much bigger, you realize I'm here for a reason bigger than myself. I... You're kind of like Ezekiel, like me. I just want to pray and have my quiet time and not have God interrupt it by telling me what to do. But he does. And so here's the invitation. 
Because you know that God is calling you. Some of you know that. You know that. I mean, I don't know who you are. I don't know what God's call is on your life. Some, some are you... Some of you right now, some of the calling right now is for you to be safe. Some of you are Christians, but you're living in sin. You're, li- you're, not, you're living together. You're not married. You're playing like you are. You're not, I mean, come on, Christians. We just held a bunch of children up here on the stage and said, we want to be good models for these kids. That model takes place in how, not just what happens in church, but what happens in our homes. But God's calling you to surrender fully. You want to dismiss it and believe the message is for somebody else, but deep down you know it's not. You know it's you. It's clear. You know the mission field is very close. It's not Haiti. It's not Cuba. It's not Wales. It's not Miami. It's not even North Jacksonville or or the beaches. It's maybe in your own living room. You know it's going to be challenging, and that's what scares you. But remember, it's also covered because God's already gone before you. The invitation leads to an answer. Will you respond today? Or, 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 or wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. Here's, here's the clear call. Here's the obvious mission field. Here's what God desires. There's no debating that. But, but you know what I want to do, preacher? I want to, I want to, let me pray about it. It's like the young man that came to my office and he wanted to pray about whether he should ask God Asked Jesus to come into his life. I said, you're going to ask God whether you should follow God. Christians, you're going to ask God whether you should be obedient. That's what you're going to ask him? Uh, answer already given, and he doesn't change. Children, or let me do it. Parents, parents, let's talk to moms and dads with kids in the home. And I'm going to wrap this up. You have lost children in your home. They're lost. They're of an age. They understand. They're lost. You need to lead. You're the model. Dads, you may be the the first picture of the Heavenly Father they've ever seen, and I know you're an imperfect one. Believe me. You need to lead. You need to have that conversation. You don't need to call the church to have the, the youth pastor talk to your teenager first. Now, I'll talk to him second, third, fourth. I'll, I'll do that all day, but I don't want to be the first one to talk to him about Jesus. Sometimes you need somebody besides mom and dad. I get that. I get that. I'm just afraid they're saying yes to me because I'm their parent. Okay, well, then after you've had that talk, then I'll have that talk. That's great. But don't let the Sunday school teacher be the first one to have the spiritual conversation with your kid. Children, we have children in our church whose parents are lost. They, they tell us, believe me, you, you think your secret's known? It's not because there's prayer request time in children's Sunday school. We may see a decrease in attendance next week. But they tend to tell us, pray for my mama, pray for my daddy. He doesn't know Jesus, she doesn't know Jesus. So children, your parents are lost, they need your prayers, and we need to pray with you. Spouses who have that husband or wife who, are, who do not, does not, they love you, they just don't love Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They, they, they let you do your church thing, but that's for you, not for them. What do they need from you, Christian spouse? They need your unwavering love and commitment to love them and to stand with them and pray for them. But they also need to hear the words of hope from you. This is the mission, and all have been called to respond. And apparently, here's a final C. I come up with another C. So you got the 
I missed one on that one. So you got the, the, the clear call, you got the close call, you got the challenging, the call is challenging, the call is covered. And I know it's yours, but here's the last one. Apparently, it's also your choice. That's the invitation today. Will you say yes? Will you say yes and say yes, God? Just like good old Ezekiel. I am here, Lord, and I'm scared, and I don't know if I can do this. I really, God, to be honest, I don't even know if I want to do this, but I know I have to do this. I know it's that important, and I know it matters, so God, today, yes.